Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. folks welcome in to pickaxe and roll brought to you by our good friends over at superbook sports i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter part of the mile high sports podcast network and i am excited to chat with all y'all uh thank you so much for tuning in we're brought to you by superbook sports uh if you can leave a rating review and subscribe to the youtube channel that would be awesome continuing to try to grow continuing to try to uh make the summer a, a fun summer for all and, and just wanted to get the channel as out there as possible. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. On this episode, we are going to go over some final takeaways from the Denver Nuggets on Summer League. We're also going to go over some other things. So don't worry, there will be other things to check in on and to talk about for sure. But I did want to start with the Summer League aspect of things. Uh, just as a reminder, Denver went two and three in their uh, five game series that they played during summer league. They played on July seventh, the ninth, the twelfth, the fifth, uh, the fourteenth, and the fifteenth, and they played against a variety of teams. Lost their first three games, but won their final two. And you could tell, I think, over the course of that time, that a team like Denver's, where it wasn't built on athleticism or talent or any of those things. It was more built on IQ. It was built on shooting. It was built on connectivity. Uh, I thought that they looked underwhelming from a physicality standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint. And that's sort of what happens when you bring in a bunch of older veteran or like older rookies, older players. The the actual summer league roster wasn't a wasn't a massive boon of athleticism or anything like that. I think Peyton Watson was the guy that really stood out in that regard, but he also had some things to work on. So I'm not surprised that it took them a little bit of time to figure things out. But the good news is that Denver did figure some things out over the course of those final two games, including a big time blowout against the Miami Heat. Uh, They finished the Summer League two and three, and there were a bunch of interesting things I think you could take away from the entire roster. So, or at least like the the guys that are associated with the Nuggets roster directly. So we'll talk about them. I'll focus in on the draft picks. I'll focus in on Colin Gillespie, uh, guys like that. Make sure to leave a like down below and let's get into it. Let's start with Hunter Tyson, who I think that this has to be the top takeaway from Summer League for sure. Um, Actually, let me uh, me answer this one quickly. Kalen. Uh, hey Ryan, I got my appendix taken out on a trip to Sweden. This sucks. Glad to hear your analysis, though. I'm, I am really sorry to hear that. My dad actually had surgery over the course of this last week, so I feel your pain for sure. Just understanding how much that impacts everything. Uh, get well soon. Hello from uh, hello to Sweden. Hello to everybody out there, uh, or on my on a trip to Sweden. So you're you're probably not there uh, right now, but hopefully uh, hopefully you're recovering well. Um. All right, back to summer league takeaways. Hunter Tyson, 
that's got to be the most important takeaway from the entire experience, right? It's got to be the most important thing. He wasn't the player that I expected to really be uh, this massive impact guy. I don't think anybody really expected that. I, I think anybody that was, like, there was a lot of hype for Julian Strother, given how he performed in the NCAA tournament, uh, especially against UCLA. Uh, there was hype for Jalen Pickett, especially with my guy Adam Morris, who is a, a voice for the Nuggets community for sure. He latched on to Jalen really quickly, and I think there's reason to believe that Jalen Pickett will continue to be great. Hunter Tyson definitely went under the radar. I think if you ask people who they expected would contribute this year, Hunter Tyson, probably not the name that comes to mind. But after watching these guys, after watching them play, I really do think that Hunter Tyson might be the most ready of all of them. And, and here's why. Shooting is the most important skill that you can have as a role player. It, it really is. I know there are other things that coaches are going to want. And there are other, like high IQ is probably another massively important skill. And Hunter Tyson, fortunately, has both of those. Uh, but the shooting especially, something where when he gets thrown the ball, is he going to be capable of hitting shots? He proved that and then some in summer league. He actually averaged, I think, the second most points per game among rookies at summer league behind Keontae George, who looked really good for the Utah Jazz before actually rolling his ankle against the Nuggets. Um, I think that Tyson turned a lot of heads at Summer League. I think the way that he played with the floor opened up a little bit more, playing a different role than he had at Clemson, uh, and then just kind of learning a little bit and, and dealing with the athleticism at the NBA level. It took him just a little bit to get adjusted defensively, but I think that offensively, he looked good from the get-go and then started to figure a lot of things out. It was really, really cool to see. Um, I'm hopeful that he gets a couple of opportunities this year. Am I expecting it? No. When I put out my depth chart over the course of uh, this weekend, I had him as the third string power forward behind Flacco Chanchar. I think that's probably where he will stay. But it is interesting to think about the versatility that he has, that he could play the three or the four that he could back up Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon, depending on the situation, and provide something a little bit unique, something a little bit different. Got a little bit more off the bounce game than I thought he would, and he was making connective passes in a way where you could just see that he saw the floor, that he understood what the next read was. And that's so important in a system like Denver's, where Jokic makes the first decision, and then everybody else has to follow suit after that. So, Going to be interesting to see what actually happens here, but him proving himself was a really, really big deal. Let's go to Julian Strava, who this is more or less what I expected from Julian Strother. I thought that he would get up shots. I thought that he would make some. I didn't think that he would make a bunch because that's just kind of what the summer league environment is about. He was getting up a bunch of shots. I think over the course of the entire tournament, the five games that he played, he had 29 shots in the first three games and then something like 17 or 18 threes in the last two. So I think it was about 47 threes that he attempted in those five games, which between nine and 10 per game is nuts. That's just a crazy number. And keep in mind, there were 48-minute games. So it wasn't like these were... It wasn't like these were uh, 
he, he just got up shots. That's, that's really what I'm trying to project here. And him getting up as many threes as he did, there's no conscience. There's no, like, the, the desire to prove himself is thus. Like, he, he wants to shoot. He wants to hit shots. And it's not quite gunner mentality from, like, a, a Michael Porter Jr. situation where it doesn't matter how contested he is. He could rise up over anybody. I think that Strother, when he gets open, is going to shoot. And you like to have players like that when you have an offense like Denver's does, where Jokic, Murray, they're going to draw a lot of attention. You're not always going to get a whole bunch of space, but when you do get those open shots, you need to make them count. So that's an interesting thing. I didn't think that Strother provided a ton else. I think that one of those things that you're looking at for him, you want to see what else he does beyond just the shooting. And he had some off-the-bounce stuff. He had some defensive plays. He had some pla- he had some passes for guys. He rebounded a little bit, but nothing to the level that I actually think is going to translate immediately to the NBA level. I think that the two things that will translate are the shooting and the hustle. And if he does shoot relatively efficiently in his first season, then he has a chance to stay on the floor. To guarantee that he has a chance to stay on the floor, he has to be the hardest worker. And that doesn't surprise me at this stage. Like, he's going to have to work hard. And I think that he proved over the course of those five games that he's willing to hustle. There were some plays where he kind of got backdoored or, or lost control of his man or didn't really contest something that I thought that he probably should have. But I do think that he is a guy who Nuggets fans are going to be happy when he plays for the most part. And they're going to have to go through some ups and downs because he's still got a lot to learn. But I think he's further along than most like 18 or 19-year-old gunners. Like He's going to be able to fit into a system a little bit sooner. So we'll see whether that's actually true. Uh, but I'm not really surprised by what I saw from Julian Strother. I think he's going to be good. And I'm not sure he's going to be great. Because I just don't think that he's going to provide that extra gear, provide that extra level from the all-around impact. There was like the first game of Summer League, I think was very illuminating, where he was playing the three and Peyton Watson the four. And Watson filled up the box score, did a whole bunch of stuff. And then Strother basically did nothing other than shoot, but he made his shots or he made enough shots to really space the floor. Those guys paired pretty well together. That to me, I think is going to be pretty representative of the kind of player he is for a while. And he's going to have to find ways to get involved if he wants to stay on the floor. So, we will see. Peyton Watson uh, only played two games. He decided to, uh, or the Nuggets decided to shut him down after two games. Uh, They decided that they wanted to uh, give other guys an opportunity to develop, and, and Hunter Tyson got to start the final three games. So, I'm not surprised that that's where um. Like, that's where I think that's going to end up. And, and like, that's good for Peyton that, that he was able to show what he showed. And he showed a pretty good deal. Like, I, I thought that the actual athleticism, the actual connectivity, the things that he provided were very good, especially in that first game. Second game wasn't as strong. I don't want to like, overly credit him for what I thought was kind of an underwhelming second game. But he did show some off-the-dribble stuff in that one. He did show some slashing. And there was enough there that I think you're you're good. You don't need to see anything else. Like, he's not going to prove anything at Summer League. 
because what is his role really going to be at the NBA level this year? It's going to be uh, an occasional slasher, a strong defender, and a hustle player, somebody who is going to be a connective player, not necessarily somebody who's going to be a first or second option. He has the potential to develop into something like that a little bit more, but uh, it's going to be a while. And wasting your time trying to get him to that place right now is probably a misuse of resources anyway. You want him to be the best version of a role player that he could possibly be for this year, while also leaving the door open for additional development down the road. Uh, I don't know whether he's going to play. I don't know whether he's going to be a more capable option for Denver than Hunter Tyson. I don't know whether he's going to be a more capable option than Justin Holiday Or like if Christian Brown slides to the three, what happens to... Peyton Watson, does he slide to the floor, uh, to the four and kick out Vlatko? Does he um, slide up to the two or something like that? Like, there's there's a lot of questions there. But I think that Peyton's kind of on the fritz of the rotation and not necessarily in the midst, like in the middle of it. And he's going to have some proving to do. I do think that there are some other things that he has to prove. I thought that in that first game, especially, he had been playing so well. And then in that third quarter, he kind of fell apart a little bit. So there is some stuff that he's got to figure out. And like it's going to take time. But that's just an ex- a healthy expectation for any of these things. And finally, uh, Jalen Pickett. Actually, let's go to the comments here real quick. Uh, Kalen asks, Ryan Harrison Wynn believes Tyson is a three. What do you think? I think he fits more as a four with P. Water Holiday at the three. Uh, Kalen, I think you're right. I think that more than anything, it's important to ask which of these guys are like which positions are these guys going to guard. And if it's Aaron Gordon who's next to Hunter Tyson, then maybe Tyson is the nominal three. But I do think that most likely you're going to want Hunter Tyson to defend fours. You're not going to want him to defend uh, threes because at the NBA level, everybody gets more quick, more athletic, and it just wouldn't be wise, I think, to put him at the three a ton. Uh, but hey, you never know. Like, you don't want to put him into a box. Like, I, I, I've i kind of put him into a box as a stretch four. I don't think that he's going to just be a stretch four. I think he has a little bit more to his game than that. But in the end, I think once he, he's going to put on a little bit more weight, he's going to get stronger, hopefully gets a little bit more athletic in the process. I, th- I think he's going to be a four, especially for this team. Like, it just makes more sense. So we'll find out. Uh, back to Pickett. Good on the little things. Good on the stuff that he needs to be good at in order to make it into an NBA rotation. That's the most important thing. He is going to be a very interesting piece. I don't think that he's going to start in the rotation. I don't think that there there will be times where he hops in when somebody needs a break, when somebody uh, has a sick day or something like that. And uh, maybe there's even a possibility that the right combination off the bench involves both him and Reggie Jackson. Maybe it involves Jalen Pickett instead of Reggie Jackson. We don't really know. Uh, but I do think that I like what he provides, at least in theory, a little bit more than Reggie. He's going to need some time, and I don't think people are fully accounting for that. There, there are some things that he has to learn. And keeping up with the actual athleticism in the NBA is going to be a big deal for him. 
because at the point of attack, you can't always have him on the weaker defender or on the weaker offensive player, excuse me. He has to be able to guard at the point because he's 6'2". Like he's not really 6'4", he's 6'2". And that's just got to be something that he's capable of doing at that size. And if he can't do it, then Denver's in trouble with that with that part of the rotation, or at least they're going to have to come up with other considerations. And it's hard to come up with considerations for a guy that you're hoping is your 8th or 10th man. So I think in general that Pickett showed enough to me that like between the rebounding, between connecting as a playmaker, between hopping into passing lanes and getting a block here or there, like there's enough there to really like. I also think that as an offensive player, he is like just he's pretty good. He's really, really good in a lot of different categories. He set the table a lot for Hunter Tyson and Julian Strother while also sharing the playmaking duties with Colin Gillespie. So I think that there's room for him to do a little bit more as an off-the-dribble guy, uh, whether that's pull-up twos, whether that's getting all the way to the rim. I think that Colin kind of soaked up some of those opportunities that normally would have presented themselves to a backup point guard in summer league. So Jalen Pickett, I think, is going to be very, very interesting. Whether he's athletic enough, whether he's physical enough, that remains to be seen. Actually, no, he's definitely physical enough. That's not the that's not the question. Athletic enough and tall enough to really do enough. That's a, a good question. But we're going to find out. We're going to find out together. And I look forward to the journey because he just seems like a very interesting player to root for and a unique player on a roster full of unique players, but also some holdovers. So you want some uh, some spice within that rotation. And maybe maybe Jalen gives you some spice. We'll see. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to wrap up with Colin Gillespie and Ismail Kamigate, as well as talk about the two-way contract, guys. Uh, But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook, who are changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in betting in Las Vegas because of that direct connection that they have. And now when you use promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to 250 bucks with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to 250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. We're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, if you can, could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Leave a like on the YouTube video. Do all those fun things. Those really help. And I should uh, I should get one of those automated graphics that, that pops up for YouTube videos every time. It's like the you click the like button, you click the subscribe button, and you hit that funny little bell notification. Those are those are good. Um, I, I, I love watching YouTube. YouTube is... Uh, I think it's a great platform. All right. Second segment here. Let's talk about Colin Gillespie. And we're still on Summer League takeaways here. I think that Colin, of course, like everything has to be taken with a grain of salt because this really is his first major competition that he's played in since breaking his leg, since fracturing that that lower leg area near his ankle. 
and he's recovering. He is still figuring things out. He's still figuring out how to do most of what he needs to do. Uh, unfortunately, he only shot like 30% from the field and 28% from three. Even though he had that really impressive five out of seven, five out of eight shooting performance in that second game, um, he is still recovering for sure. And it's pretty clear that the athleticism is definitely worse that his feel for the game, despite the fact that he's making some good plays, it's still a little bit slow. He's still not like jumping in front of some passes and uh, getting in front of the offensive player that he's supposed to be guarding in, in normal ways that somebody his size should be able to do. Hustle is obviously good. Like he's trying out there and it's clear that he, he wants this really, really badly. Uh, but he is clearly still recovering too. And I'm not surprised that when you combine that with just his natural limitations as an athlete, as a defender, uh, that's going to be a little bit weak. Now, if you look at the numbers, he averaged like 2.4 steals per game. So you don't want to just take away the steal totals, although there have been some good ones. Like he, he's gotten a couple backcourt steals. He had a game where he had like five steals or something absurd like that. But there were just enough possessions where I watched him in the pick and roll where if he didn't get the steal, he wasn't really impacting the play. And that's a problem. You have to be impacting, you have to be physical, and you have to be able to do so without fouling. And he struggled on that. He struggled as a rebounder. And that that's at least something that I'm going to be watching going forward. Now, he is going to get a two-way. Like that that actually is a thing I can I can comment on. Um he, Braxton Key, and Jay Huff will be the two ways for Denver this year. Uh, just keep that in mind if you're uh, if you're watching. I think there should be an announcement here soon. But those three guys are going to be on the two ways, Colin included. And that's just how it's going to be. And Colin's going to continue to try to rehab a little bit. He's going to continue to try to get better and develop. And I think that he... Like the reason why I phrased it the way that I did, scoring and defense have fallen behind. Like he was always going to have to improve. Like there were certain things that he had to do, but I do think that on the scale of like the the actual development that he's supposed to have, he was a little bit slower. And especially now when you have a broken leg factoring in, like that's not surprising. So I think that it's going to take a little bit. He's going to have to figure some stuff out, and hopefully he can. Because I want to see him succeed here. I, I just, I don't know if the vision really is there. Because the size is a, a thing that matters. And I compared him to Faco Campazzo on a previous podcast. And didn't get a lot of brushback from that. So not not really surprising. No, not enough people from Argentina are still listening. They'd be like, how dare you compare him to Colin Gillespie? Um, Colin would be great in the EuroLeague. Not going to lie. Like that would be a great league for him in general. Uh, if he doesn't end up making it in the NBA, then I predict that he just dominates European basketball. That would be great. Next, Ismail Kamigate uh, came over for the second year in a row. He was drafted in 2022, obviously, 46 overall pick. And Nuggets fans have been asking me ad nauseum about Ismail, and he is very, very talented. He's very, very good. I do think that there are some things that he clearly showed that he needs another year. He just needs more time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like when you're a second round pick who was drafted and you're pretty young, you're like 20 years old, 21 years old when you were drafted, 
it's not really a surprise that you need a little bit more time as a big man. Like some guys are ready sooner than others, but most of the time, bigs and point guards are the two that really take the most time to develop. So I think that Kamigate is probably going to be one of those guys that if he struggles in EuroLeague this upcoming year, then he may not come over to the NBA. Like he just might not. Denver might decide they want to go a different direction. If they have other bigs that they're looking to develop, uh, Kamigate, he's one that they believe in. And I, I think that they have good reason to believe in him. He averaged 1.5 blocks a game in the 18.8 minutes that he played in Summer League. But one of the things that really stands out just watching him is that he's a little bit slower. He's a little bit overwhelmed physically. And he couldn't play that many minutes without getting tired in summer league and that's just that's going to be one of those things that you might have to watch out for like was the conditioning at the level that it needed to be was he in a good place mentally that he could actually handle some of these things i don't know i i'm not going to sit here and speculate too much because he just played 18 minutes a night like that's is what it is but i was pretty surprised that he didn't play more when he has so many um has so much like expectations there we're going to find out. We're going to find out what he mean, whether he means business in uh, the EuroLeague or not. He's going to play for AC Milan in Italy under Ettore Messina. That is already locked in. Whether he actually plays or not, that's not guaranteed. But that's where he's going to go learn. So if he can play for Messina, then he will probably be ready for the NBA. Uh, if he can't, then Denver might just move on. We'll have to find out. That's it for real summer league takeaways. I think that between those guys, there's a reason why Denver didn't sign any of the other guys to two-way contracts. I thought that Cassius Stanley was probably the guy who was closest. I thought that he could have been an option for Denver. I, I don't necessarily think that it would have been great, but um, he was fine. He was fine, but Denver decided to go a different direction, and they ended up going with both Braxton Key and Jay Huff. For their two-way contracts. If you miss this, Colin Gillespie will get the third two-way contract. I, I know that for certain. And Braxton Key, Jay Huff, Colin Gillespie will be your guys. Stuff to know about Braxton Key. He hasn't played a ton at the NBA level so far. If I just, I should have done this before. I've, I've looked up the numbers before, but I haven't done it in the last few days. Uh, Braxton Key has played a total of 14 games at the NBA level. He's played a total of 206 minutes, which is more than Peyton Watson. So just want to make sure that everybody understands that. Um, when he was playing for Detroit at the end of not this last season, but the season before, that was when he played the most. He played 191 of those 206 minutes, had some good moments, shot the ball reasonably well, and actually had some good statistical impact markers for like Steals and blocks and did some good things there. Just uh, looking at the numbers, yeah, 2.3% steal rate, 5.2% block rate. That's pretty good for for numbers for somebody who, I know he's listed at small forward, he's going to be a power forward. Like that's just kind of the size that he is, the style that he is. He played the backup four and he's okay. Like he does some good things and played pretty well at the G League level. Not really surprised that Calvin Booth went after him. He won a championship with Virginia when he was there, and now he hasn't really latched on yet in the NBA level, but he makes sense as a physical 
athletic, but kind of like a smooth athletic, um, six foot eight power forward type. Uh, I like his overall skill set. I don't know whether he's actually going to be able to shoot, but if he did shoot well, then there's enough there. Like as a role man, as a uh, defensive switch guy, as somebody who can rotate over from the weak side, that he could actually help out a little bit. I think it's probably in that same vein as Jack White, where probably not going to play just because there's so many guys on the roster that want to play. But if you have poor health at a certain position, then maybe he can step up. That would be my my general expectation there. And then Jay Huff, another guy who, um, another guy who I think is a little bit underrated. Uh, I saw some mixed reviews on social media when he actually was signed. Let me just pull up the numbers here real quick. I'm pretty sure that he played um, for the Lakers at one point. He's only played 11 total games at the NBA level as well. Uh, But he won G League Defensive Player of the Year last year and averaged like 3.1, 3.2 blocks per game or something like that down there. And that was across... I think 46 games in the regular season and the showcase period. So there's enough to like about Jay Huff as this uh, kind of drop coverage big man who is a legit seven footer and can impact shots at the rim. And maybe he can do that a little bit better than DeAndre Jordan. Maybe he fills that role a little bit better than DeAndre at this stage of his career where you want DeAndre around for his leadership. You want him around for his voice. But if you need somebody who actually has to play, like DeAndre did enough like during this last season and, and even was able to step up in important moments um, in, um, in the playoffs. And that was great. That was, that was a professional thing for DeAndre Jordan to do. Um, but what I will say is that Denver can't rely on that continuously going forward, and they've got to have other options. So I'm glad that they signed a legit seven-footer to fill that role, and I think it makes a lot of sense to get somebody who was just really good at the G League level defensively. I don't think he's a great enough athlete. Like, I think Braxton Key is a way better athlete for his size, for his position, but I think the Huff, really much better shooter in general, and just has a lot of, uh, like, there's at least some value there if a big seven-footer type can shoot the ball from the outside and block shots on the inside. Like, there's there's something to be said about, like, I, I, Brooke Lopez does this for the Milwaukee Bucks and has been doing this as a extremely valuable player archetype for a while. So I'm, I'm not comparing him to Brooke Lopez. That's uh, pretty much off the, off the table. But there are very few bigs in the NBA that can actually block shots and shoot the ball at that size. So... Maybe he gets to be one of them. Maybe maybe he's one of them and just hadn't latched on and hadn't found the right rhythm yet. But he is 24 years old. He'll turn 25 in August. And maybe that just reaches the correct uh, time in his life where he, uh, where he peaks and, find, and Denver can find some good minutes for him. We will find out. Uh, but for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to laugh at Daryl Morey and Joel Embiid. We're going to laugh at LeBron James and, Jay- and uh, Darvin Ham, and we're going to laugh at Portland and Miami fans because I feel like it. I, I just want to I want to be vindictive because that's just fun. It's, it's very, very fun, especially when you can uh, enjoy it a little bit. But first, this message from Scott the Huff.
right, we're back. Pick X and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Final segment. Let us now discuss. Uh, let's just you know, let's just laugh a little bit. Let's just enjoy uh, being in the position that we are as Nuggets folks, as Nuggets fans, Nuggets media, whatever. Um, Denver's had very little drama during their time. They've had very little opportunity for drama to really become a thing. The most dramatic thing that the Nuggets have had to deal with over the course of these last couple of years, these last few years since the bubble, is when Jamal Murray was going to come back. And that was that was it. And it was pretty clear from the Nuggets organization that he had as much time as he needed to. And then it was all on Jamal, and Jamal didn't feel comfortable, and then he didn't come back. And that's why, because it worked out, and Denver won a championship, and that was the most important thing for his career, and hopefully for the rest of his life. That that would be, like, I'm hoping that continues to pay dividends for him. But now we get to laugh at the rest of the league because everybody's looking up at the Nuggets. Everybody's trying to tear Denver down. Everybody's trying to, uh, they're trying to minimize Denver's run, uh, saying, "Oh, it came against a whole bunch of playing teams. It doesn't really count." It's like, what you got to play a real team like the Milwaukee Bucks or Boston Celtics or teams like that, which is really funny because Denver beat the teams that beat the. Milwaukee Bucks and Boston Celtics. Uh, they beat the Lakers, who were the team that beat the Golden State Warriors, the defending champions. So Denver didn't even have a chance, even though they would have crushed the Warriors. I feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, Denver would have done just fine in any series this year because they had all the answers they needed. That's not the issue. But now we get to laugh at these other guys, these other uh, personalities and players and executives and teams and whatnot. And let's start with the Sixers, who it's just funny, man. Like, it really is. So many connections between Embiid and Jokic. So many uh, discussions about who these guys actually are. And just looking back at some of the comments made back in February of this last year is really, really funny because you get the added context of Denver winning the championship and the Sixers flaming out in the playoffs again. Because that's just what they do. And you've got the James Harden situation, which is bubbling up everywhere. And like he's clearly not happy. And Maury's trying to take a strong stance on it. And uh, Joel Embiid making fun of the situation. He said, uh, I believe on, on some sort of interview panel that he was doing, that uh, he wanted to win a championship, whether it was in Philadelphia or somewhere else. Uh, he wants, obviously, he would like to win in Philly, but. Him bringing up somewhere else is pretty funny because it's definitely drawing at least uh, the the window a little bit open of like, who knows? Maybe Joel Embiid might decide to jump ship. Maybe he might decide, yeah, if things don't work out between Harden and the Sixers, and I uh, can't really figure out how to get him a better co-star, then now he's just going to figure out a way to win a championship somewhere else. Um Obviously, the Nuggets don't have that problem because they're a well-run organization and they don't have drama and they haven't had to do all these things um, because they like credit that to Tim Connolly, folks. Like, if you want to credit anybody, that's the place to start. Uh, him and Josh Kroenke, because actually, I mean, Jokic is is obviously a big part of it, but there's a lot of different elements of it. And Connolly was very conscientious of this, and he wanted to bring in people that worked well together and. Uh, were great at the basketball side of things, but also great at the personal side of things. And then Josh Kroenke, he's paid everybody outside of like Bruce Brown and Tim Connolly. <laughs> Pretty much like everybody he's he's paid. 
and they've offered pretty much all the contracts that they've needed to to keep everybody happy, most notably Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, who when he signed that contract, that was a that was a big bit to do when people were like, oh, you can't compare him to Ben Simmons. Yeah, okay. Um, but it is really interesting to think about the diversions of those two teams where they're in very similar spots back in 2018, 2019, 2020. And they kind of seesawed a little bit. I think the Sixers fans would still feel like they have at least a little bit of a shot there. But Denver's won a championship and the Sixers are still stuck on the second floor. So we're going to see. We're going to see where they ultimately end up. But it is really funny. And I just I wanted to enjoy this moment because... Uh, I don't know what this is ultimately going to look like. I don't know if Joel Embiid is going to make a trade request on Twitter. I don't know if Daryl Morey is going to be like, oh, yeah, everything's fine, and then trade Joel Embiid to New York. Like, there, there's going to be a lot. Uh, I'm curious to see how this James Harden situation develops because he's on a one-year contract, and it's a lot different than the Ben Simmons situation where he had several years on his contract. So going to be interesting to see what happens, but I am looking forward to the fireworks because – I enjoy pain. Let's laugh at LeBron James and Darvin Ham because there's clearly some resentment there after Denver decided that they wanted to talk the talk a little bit. Um, I've said this before, and I continue to say it. Nuggets fans don't know how to operate. The Nuggets organization doesn't know how to operate. They've never been in this situation before where they're clearly better than the Lakers. And they're going to talk about it like a, like they're better than the Lakers. And it is really funny that it has poked at LeBron. It's poked at Darvin Ham as much as it has. If you don't know, there was an Instagram post that was back in the day, like back a month ago or so, about, oh, man, I was just like LeBron James was just minding his own business abroad and like in Europe. And he comes back and sees that. Michael Malone has called the Lakers, uh, he's the daddy of the Lakers or something like that. It was actually Vic Lombardi who said it, and that's an important piece of this. But it is really funny because I was um, reading from Mark Stein, who has his own sub-stack that you should probably subscribe to. And he was talking about how, yeah, there is starting to be a rivalry here between the Lakers and the Nuggets. And if you are a Lakers fan, you would never even acknowledge that before. You would never even talk about that. The, The Nuggets are beneath you. The Lakers for like for the Nuggets, the Lakers are the big bad. Like they are a team that you had and, and run into several times, and, and it's clear how people feel about them. But if you are the Lakers, they don't really understand that. They don't really because they've all won those matchups. It hasn't ever been something where they've actually felt disappointment. Now they are feeling disappointed. You get onto the doorstep of the Western Conference Finals, and everybody who like was predicting that, oh yeah, the Nuggets will be thwarted by the Lakers. It's clear that the Lakers are the better team. That was something that was discussed. I mean, think about it. ESPN panel, where raise your hand if you believe the Lakers would win in a series against the Nuggets. Everybody raises their hand. That's pretty shaky. And Nuggets fans took that personally. The Nuggets organization took that personally. And I think that Michael Malone certainly took that personally. And he's running with it. And now LeBron James is mad. Darvin Ham is mad. Uh, he was speaking about that to Chris Haynes and where he says that it's not over, that they uh, they still have some things to figure out, that they still have some some catching up to do. And I just find that hilarious because it's just it is just like, you know, you've gotten into their skin. You know, you've gotten under them because they are clearly affected by it. And 
it's fun to be on that side of things, you know? Like, it's just way better to be on this side of things where you can just look at it and laugh and where you have this revisionist history where Lakers fans are like, oh, man, if Jamal Murray didn't go off and he wasn't prime Michael Jordan for a series, then things would be different. Or if Nikola Jokic didn't hit these BS shots, like, falling away, then things would be different. Maybe, but they're not. But they're not. You lost. And that's always that's always an important piece of the conversation. Because you can't, like, just rewrite history like that. The winners get to write the history. And for the first time in forever, the Lakers are not the winners. So, be sad. Be mad. Finally, we're going to laugh at Portland and Miami fans. Because they are feuding right now. And it is very reminiscent. Very similar to the Nuggets-Knicks melodrama that happened back in 2010 and 2011 where Melo puts out his trade demand. He says that he wants to go to the Knicks. He wants to go to New York. And it's pretty clear that that's where he's directing himself to. The Nuggets are not giving in because the Knicks are not giving them the package that they were hoping for. Miami is getting mad. Their fans are getting mad. They want like they want the star. They want the player because they think that they're entitled to said player And if you are a Portland fan, you're like, this was our guy. Like, you can't just take him. Like, he's he's ours. He's under contract. That's one of the things that's kind of under-discussed in this situation, that Damian Lillard, I think, is under contract through 2027. So, like, he's he is under contract. And then he doesn't really have a whole bunch of leverage in this situation when if Portland is willing to take their time with this. Now, nobody else is really in a position to trade for him. Like, Brooklyn might, but not really. Like, they they don't really have the capacity to do so. Um, Maybe uh, some mystery team pops up, and maybe that's what Portland's hoping for. But they are not going to just ship him to Miami for pennies on the dollar. And both of these fan bases are super mad at each other. Like, I follow a bunch of Portland fans. They're in the same division. Denver's had rivalries, have some relationships, obviously. Like, it's pretty clear who is, like, the Blazers fans are fuming. They are super upset that Miami is just, like, trying to claim Damian Lillard out of nowhere. And it's just really funny to be at this stage where Denver dealt with this 12 years ago. They dealt with this 12, 13 years ago. And they don't have to deal with it again. They don't have to worry about this kind of thing. Because Nikola Jokic is never going to do that. Jamal Murray is never going to do that. Those guys are going to be around forever. And when you win, it cures all. And it's not a surprise that you haven't heard anything from Michael Porter Jr., who might want a larger role, who might want to be in a situation where he's on a bigger team, where not a bigger team, but like where he has a bigger role on a team. He's not worried about that and hasn't been worried about that for about that for a while because they're winning. And he gets to prove everybody wrong while being a winner, while being like somebody who's in a great position here, Denver doesn't have to worry about this crap because they have mounted, like they've, they've crossed the summit. They are at the peak. And for so long, Denver's not been able to say that before. But now they are. Now they are in a great position where you don't have to worry about the peons like between Portland and Miami. Like Miami will be great. They'll be great if they get Dame for pennies on the dollar because if they keep... Various assets, like, I don't know, Jaime Hakez Jr., for example. Like, it could be very helpful for a team like that. Or if they keep, I don't know, Tyler Hero, and they decide, yeah, we're going to send you Kyle Lowry instead. We're going to have 
Lillard, Hero, Bam, and Jimmy. That's a pretty fearsome quartet. Uh, but most important thing to remember with all this is that because Denver took care of their guys, because their organization is sound, because they have always done right and they've capitalized and their players have lived up to that standing, they haven't had this kind of drama. And they're not going to have this kind of drama, knock on wood. Um, as long as they continue to play the right way, as long as Nikola Jokic continues to be in the picture, they are going to be okay. And I know that we've talked about Bruce Brown leaving. We've talked about Jeff Green leaving. We've talked about the various decisions that Denver's made, whether it's signing Reggie Jackson as opposed to adding somebody else. Denver's going to be fine because they've got the best starting lineup in basketball because Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are going to get better. And because Nikola Jokic is literal Jesus Christ. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to say that. But he's fantastic. And Nuggets fans just have different worries than a lot of these teams do. And it's really, really cool. (laughs) They're in a great position. And I'm looking forward to seeing whether they can handle their business. But even if they can't, like, still a really, really fun team to root for. And they don't give you a reason to hate them like a lot of these other teams do. So. Really happy about it. Really happy that we get to be in the spot. We get to laugh at other situations as opposed to having to go through a painful one of your own. Uh, But for now, I think that is going to do it on this episode. Um, Good takeaways. Good stuff from Denver and Las Vegas. Uh, Quick housekeeping notes. I will be here on Wednesday, but I will not do a podcast on Friday. I'm going on a trip. That should be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Shout out to my Nuggets fans who I'm, I'm traveling with, Ava and Brent. And uh, we're going to have a great time. I'm really looking forward to it, but I will be taking Friday off. Uh, But you will see me on Wednesday. I'm going to try to get somebody else on, another guest. That should be good. Uh, Should be very fun. But for now, as I said, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Uh, Make sure to do that before you get out of here. Uh, But for now, thank you so much for tuning in. I will talk to you guys on Wednesday.